and the ears of every individual here today. Lord, each and every one of us needs you to get through our day. For without you, we are weak, we are defenseless against the onslaught that comes against us daily. But your word says, Lord, greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. And today we stand on that promise, we stand on that word today. And right now, God, we ask you to open our hearts. Open our hearts that we might hear from you, that we might just be able to receive from you, and that this word would fall on good soil. And the church said, amen. Now, I don't know about you all, but I'm a real Puerto Rican. And some of you would dispute that with me because I don't speak Spanish. But I've learned that in today's age, just the new century we're living in, this new age, this new millennia, speaking Spanish has nothing to do with being Puerto Rican. And the whole church said amen. Because half of you young Puerto Ricans don't even speak Spanish. Amen. At least not the good words. Praise God. I can read it. I can write it. I can sing it. I can understand it, but I can't speak it. But what I mean by being a real Puerto Rican is I always go into a task that I have to do unprepared. There comes a certain point in my life that I have to realize a butter knife can't tighten every screw. And so a couple of weeks ago, not even this past week as a matter of fact, I, was, I had taken one TV off of my TV stand and I had done some stuff with it. And I was taking another television that I had from my old house, my old apartment. And it was a big television and I was putting it on this new TV stand. And, and I, what happened was is that I took the screws that I needed and I left them at somebody else's house. And so being the person that I am, I went to Home Depot without bringing a reference screw. For those of you who don't know what a reference screw is, is I need to know what size I need. And so I'm looking at all these screws, and I say to myself, well, these are fairly inexpensive. What I'll do is I'll just buy four different sizes, four of each, hoping I have the right size. I mean, like, I have a great memory. This has got to be the right size. Somewhere in this vicinity, this is going to be it. I'm not even worried about it. I leave there confident as all heck. I bought my screws. I brought my washers, and I was good to go. And I knew that in my heart, I had accomplished my goal. And I went home, and there was my little daughter, and I, had this, this, I was grabbing this TV. It's a 55-inch flat screen, and I'm moving it from my bedroom into the living room, and I'm grabbing it, and Aria's literally grabbing one hand, one side of it, she, and I put it down. Now she's walking on top of it while I'm trying to put the brackets on, and I put the first screw in, and I said, ah, wrong size. Not to worry. I've got three other size screws, screws to try. Not to worry. And I go to the second screw, and needless to say, it didn't fit. And the third one, I knew it was the one. I just knew. But it didn't work. And I was, at this point, I'm like, I have one screw. I started praying at this point, Holy Spirit. <laughs> and you know that God can't do nothing about the screws. And I'm like, Lord, please, let this. I don't want to go back to Home Depot. My wife's going out with the friends tonight. I have to have Disney Channel to watch my daughter because I can't. Something, Lord, I need deliverance. And that last screw didn't fit, and I was so upset. At this point, I was frustrated, and one sweat bead went down my brow, just one. At that point, I turned the AC on. It was time for AC. And so I called my cousin, and I said to my cousin, hey, you're coming over anyways. Would you mind stopping at so-and-so's house and getting this box of screws? And so he says, no problem. He goes to get the screws that I actually needed. And in the time where my cousin is getting these screws, I went to my, 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 my kitchen, and in my kitchen, if I want to talk to you Puerto Ricans, I have my everything drawer. <laughs> Praise God. 
every Puerto Rican has the everything drawer. And all the other people are like, I don't have an everything drawer in my house. If you do, you are an honorary Puerto Rican. We have a drawer in our kitchen that has nothing to do with the kitchen. Everything else in the house. You got socks in there. You got shoes in there. Pencils, pens, markers, knives, forks. Nothing to do with what you need. Old mail from years ago. Remote controls you don't need. You got remotes and TVs you don't even have. In case one day you buy the same model. I mean, all types of foolishness. You got menus to restaurants you will never eat at. Tape you never use. Scissors that you lose every time, but know they're in the everything jar. And you know how you know how tools always are where you don't need them at the wrong time, and then when you need them, you can't find them anywhere. Well, I opened my everything jar, and there in my everything jar was these four screws that I have no recollection of putting there. I never even have a recollection of buying them. Don't know where they came from, and those screws looked exactly like what I needed. And would you know that I went to that television set and I screwed on those brackets with those four screws and I was so upset that I had spent my time and wasted my time buying these screws, $6.98 of screws. I remember, you know, something's just ingrained in you. I was mad at those screws. I threw them all out. I'm not going to return them. That was the devil frustrating my heart. And so this is the true story. None of this is made up. By this time, you know, I'm trying to get the TV up. And so, and so my, my point is, is that oftentimes I go into a task knowing I don't have what I need. And I think that oftentimes as Christians, we live life without certain tools we need to win a soul for Christ. And, and, and I want to talk to you today about three nets We talked last week about being a fisherman, how Jesus went to Peter and Andrew, these two brothers, and he says, if you follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. And then we discussed how he was not talking about a fishing pole. He was not talking about what you do at Seaside Park or by that bridge over there in Seaview. That's not what he was talking about. That's not real fishing. That's just, that's not the fishing we're talking about in the Bible. We're talking about net fishing, taking a big net and throwing it out into the water, letting it drop down to the bottom, and then pulling on it to see what the catch was. And and either you did it from the shore or you did it on a boat. But they had nets and different types of nets. And the Holy Spirit throughout this week emplaced upon me three different types of nets that we as Christians should use to win the loss. And you might say to me, well, pastor, that's not my job to win the loss. And I want to tell you, the devil is a liar. For Matthew 28, Jesus speaking to his disciples in verse 18, 19, and 20, he says, Go ye and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He says to the whole church, you should go and make disciples. I want to tell you something you might not know. It is not up to the pastor to grow a church. I am a shepherd. You're a sheep. Sheep reproduce amongst themselves and out in in the world, and you bring back other sheep. My job is simply to take care of who God brings into these doors. And so if you ever see your church stop growing, and thank God we haven't seen that yet, but if you ever see your church stop growing, look no further than yourself as to the reason why. But it is the job of the sheep to bring in more sheep. Amen. And the Lord placed upon my heart three different nets. And would you turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12. And I have three different verses for you today. And we're going to talk about these nets. And one of these nets, none of y'all are going to like. I just know it already. The Lord told me. Amen. Isaiah 53, verse 12. And the prophet Isaiah is giving a, a, a how would you say, a prophetic utterance of Jesus Christ. This is all about Jesus. And he says, therefore, 
I will give him a portion, talking about Christ, among the great. And he would divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, meaning he was numbered with the sinners, even though he was sinless. For he bore the sin of many, meaning Christ died on the cross for the sin of many, amen, and made intercession for the transgressors. I want to read that last line again. And he made intercession. Your Bible might say, and he prayed for the sinner, for the transgressor. The first net I want to introduce to you today is called the net of prayer. I got one amen. Nobody wants to pray, and that's all right. The net of prayer. The Bible says here that Jesus prayed for the sinner. We see it in Luke 23, 34, where Jesus starts his intercession for the sinner. While he's on the cross, he is being crucified, and the Scripture says that Jesus, as they're crucifying him, cries out, Father... Forgive them, they know not what they do. Jesus was literally praying for people who were killing him while they were doing it. He began to intercede for the lost. He began to pray. Church, if you don't pray for the lost, everything else you do might be useless. If you don't saturate everything you do with prayer, if you don't have a heart to lift up those who are lost in your family, if you don't have a heart to pray for those who have hurt you and pray for those who have done you wrong and pray for those who you love but are just so lost, we might never see them come to Christ. But Jesus, if we follow his example, Scripture is clear that Jesus would pray for those who are lost. He would make intercession, meaning he would stand before the Father and intercede on behalf of the unbeliever. You were saved because someone prayed for you, and Jesus made intercession for you. Jesus stood before the Father and said, yes, they did all this wrong. They made all those mistakes. They did all those sins, but I died on that cross for them. I laid down my life for them. Are you praying for the lost? Oftentimes, to understand that you have to have a heart for those who don't know Christ means that you have to push past a selfish brand of Christianity. A brand of Christianity that says that, Father, meet my needs. Give me what I need. And, Father, I have this problem. And, Lord, this is bothering me. Lord, would you take care of that person because they're bothering me? Rather than turning your prayer around and saying, Lord... There's people out there who don't have it half as good as I do, don't know the truth about Jesus, don't know the saving grace about the Lord Jesus Christ, don't know that a Savior came from heaven and died on the cross for their sins. They don't know that. And the church goes deeper and deeper into this selfish Christianity because we know not the cause of the lost. That we can drive by those who are homeless and hurting and broken and not care about them is a selfish brand of Christianity, church. We're called to care about the lost and have compassion for those who are hurting and broken. Just the other day, I was giving these two pastors a tour of the city of Bridgeport. They're new to Bridgeport, and and they said, can you drive us all around the city? And I said, that's not a problem. I took them to all my favorite parts and all the worst parts and all your favorite parts, amen, to the places that I wouldn't even go. And and, and I took them all across. One thing was in common to almost every single place we drove, and that was we saw people walking in the streets that looked like zombies. People who were lost and people who were just, you knew they were hurting and people you knew were just addicted by, by whether it's alcoholism or drugs or whatever it may be. We saw hurting people everywhere. Hurting people. Can I ask you a question, church? Do you see those who are hurting? 
And the reason, or rather the way you see others who are hurting is getting past your own hurts and saying, Lord, I know that there are others who need you to move in their life more than I need it, God. Can I tell you something? The greatest battle you will ever pray, or rather ever face, is the battle for prayer. I'm going I'm to bear witness with all your spirits right now. How many of you, the moment you start to pray, the spirit of slumber comes over you? Do you know that's biblical? Jesus, at the Garden of Gethsemane, praying with the disciples, he says to Peter, listen, Pete, guys, fellas, listen, folks. He says, pray that you don't fall into temptation and fall asleep. And he would come back and they were sleeping. And he would go, about, go off and he would wake them up again. He said, you couldn't even pray an hour for me and with me. And he went off again. He came back and they were sleeping. Don't you realize, this is not even a joke, that at the threshold of your prayer closet lies a slumber demon, a spirit of distraction. And if we can't even pray for ourselves and fall asleep, how are we going to pray for the lost? One of the greatest nets you can toss out is the net of prayer. You know, if you ever walk up to someone and say, hey, can I pray for you? Is there anything I can pray with you about? Rarely will they ever, ever say no. They might look confused. You ever tried that, walking to somebody, walking to some people, can I pray for you? <laughs> Is there anything I can pray with you about? Oh, yeah, sure, my, my grandma's sick. I walked up to a guy at East Main Street one day, no joke, right by a flamboyant. And actually, I was in my car driving by, and he was on crutches. And I saw him on crutches, and I said to myself, I want to pray for this guy on crutches. And so I thought it was Captain Obvious when I said, hey, is there anything I can pray with you about? Like, you're on crutches. He's like, I'm pretty good. I'm like, but dude, you're limping. Can I pray for your leg? That God, you know, speeds up your recovery or something? He's like, I guess that'd be a good idea. Because some people are accustomed to being hurt and broken. How many of you can usher someone past their hurts and pains? If you would cast out the net of prayer, you would begin to see that things change when you pray. If you look all throughout Scripture, almost every great move of God in Scripture is traced back to prayer. Jehoshaphat is facing five different kings, and what does he do? He's, he's outnumbered five to one, and he goes into his prayer closet to receive an answer from God. Moses on the mountain, he has no, no answers. He needs all these questions answered by God, and he goes into prayer. You look at the book of Acts, chapter 2. When revival broke out, they were all praying in one room. You look at the great Welsh revival in, in, in England, and you see all the things that God did in 1901 to 1904 and 1915 and 1916. You look at all the revivals, they were all steeped in prayer. You look at the great Azusa Street Revival in California where millions were saved in a few years. Millions saved in a few years. Bars were closing down. Strip clubs were closing down. Gambling places that were closing down because now there was too many saved people in the area to function your dirty business in. And it all started with prayer meetings. But Satan has tricked the church to not pray anymore. And no one said amen because you're all feeling some kind of way about that part. If you can cast out the net of prayer, you begin to see God change things in people's lives. And you know something? If you go to somebody and say, can I pray with you about this or that, and they begin to see that God moved in that area you were praying for, that's an entryway to give the gospel to them right there. Well, do you know why you got, do you know why you got healed? Do you know why? 
that finances came in. Do you know why this happened? Because Jesus Christ is for you. He's not against you. Can I challenge you, church, to, to cast out the net of prayer? That when you drive down the street and you see those beggars, those poor, those homeless, you don't just drive past them, but you would pray for them. And that she would seek the Lord for them. If you look at even Hannah, she, gave, she, she had wanted a son so desperately, and she went into prayer and received her son Samuel. Gideon, when he was blind, and or rather Samson, when he was blinded and he was all types of in bondage, he went and prayed, and God gave him strength. Once again, prayer can change something in your life. I can give you scripture after scripture about Jesus praying and interceding for the body of Christ, for the believer, and for the lost. We as a church should do the same. We as a church should cast out the net of prayer in order to win souls for Christ. But when we pray, you are mighty before God. When you pray, strongholds can come down. When you pray, bondages are broken. Great things happen when the church of Jesus Christ prays. It says in Romans 8.34, who then is the one that condemns you? No one. Christ Jesus died. And more than that, he was raised to life. And he is at the right hand of the Father. And he is interceding for us. And if Christ is interceding for the lost, church, I would challenge you that we should be interceding for those who are in need of Jesus Christ. So the first net I want to present to you is the net of prayer. Here's my second net. I know nobody's going to like this net. I really know that y'all are going to look at me some kind of way. Let me just read my verse, and I'm going to tell you my net. Praise God. 1 Peter 2.12. Live such good lives among the pagans that they accuse you That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Here's the second net the Lord placed on my heart this week. I I, I feel like turning around to give you this net. Amen. It's called the net of your testimony. The net of testimony. And this is bifold. Because a testimony is is bifold. It's not just what Christ has done in your life, but it's also how you carry yourself as a Christian in the world for people to identify you as a Christian. It's the way people will know you are a follower of Christ, a Christ follower, a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Peter commands us in this verse that we should live such good and righteous and upstanding lives that even though people talk bad about you, that in the end they'll come to know you're a follower of Christ and they will be glorified, or rather God will be glorified in your life through your actions. But today it seems like too many Christians are only saved at church. It seems like you still want to cuss people out. You still want to get drunk and go out. You still want to do things that are against God's will. You still want to go on Facebook and put all types of complaining, muttering, bickering, and gossip. It's real quiet. And you want to do all the things you want to do. You want to talk to people how you want to talk. You want to live how you want to live. But Sunday, man, God is so good. Church was awesome. I'm just like, uh. I mean, church was great, but if it didn't change you, we missed a mark. 
And, and you know what's crazy is that sometimes the reason people won't share their testimony with others is because where they're at looks a lot like where God pulled them from. And we can't share what God has done in our hearts and lives if we circled back to where God took us from. I told you we wouldn't like this net. The net of testimony. The net where you're living the life God has called you to live, living in the purpose the Lord has predestined you for. Are you tossing out the net of testimony? Are you tossing out the net of what God has done in your life? I can't stand when somebody tries to get me to buy a product they heard about and never tested out themselves. Oh my God, I heard that these wraps can make your stomach go down. And these are these wraps, these wraps, these wraps. Have you tried it? Because you got a pot belly still. Oh, these weight loss pills, I'm killing it on the. How much have you lost? It don't like you lost nothing yet. Oh, I got this new gym that I've been going to. Is it that good? Because I don't see the results. You've been going there for months, you said. Well, I go sometime. Don't you hate when somebody tries to sell you a bill of goods they don't know anything about? I told you a couple weeks ago, everybody tries to get me to go into these pyramid schemes. Oh, you should go and join this business because you're going to make a lot of money. But if you get 30 people under you, you'll make even more money. Well, how much money are you making? Well, I haven't really started to see the return yet, then, then neither am I. And there's nothing more powerful than someone saying, oh, my God, go to this restaurant. I went there. It was the greatest experience I ever had in my life. You're going to love it. Oh, my God, I tried this place out. Oh, I went to here. I tried this recipe. I did this. I did that. When you get someone who is an eyewitness to what the goodness of something is, how much more powerful when people come in contact with those they have witnessed that God has radically changed their lives. The greatest testimony is to go to someone and say, God did this for me. He broke this addiction. He broke that addiction. I used to have an eating disorder. I used to be on smoking cigarettes. I used to be addicted to sex. I used to be addicted to pornography. I was in this life and God pulled me out. There's nothing greater than your testimony. But the reason you don't share it is because you're still in the midst of the place God is trying to pull you out of. And how can you cast a net into the place you're already in? You might get yourself. The net of testimony says that you should live in such a way that God is glorified, not horrified. Mm. We could stop service right there. You could just meme that on Facebook. Hey, praise God. Live a life where he's glorified, not horrified. Live a life where God is proud of. In the book of Job, Job lived such an upright life that he said, have you considered my servant Job? When's the last time God said, have you considered my servant and place your name there? I don't want to call you out. What are you saying, Pastor? Live a righteous life, a life of love, a life exemplifying the heart of Christ, a life of, of peace and a life of joy, a life that God says, I am doing a work in this person. The greatest thing, the greatest compliment someone can give you is they walk up to you and say, God is doing something in your life. You are just different. There's something about you. I see a light in you. What is it? And you can segue right into God, Jesus Christ. He's done an amazing thing in my life. But instead, we get more of this, and, and we get more of, you're a Christian? 
Uh, you know, yesterday I had a horrible experience. Somebody say amen. Because I wasn't, I wasn't in a bad mood, but I was having a frustrating day. And, and I walked out of my apartment, and, and the, there was in my garbage, my wife had put the, the, just the, um, the, the, the roll to the wrapping paper, and I was taking the baby out, and she didn't break it in half. It wasn't a big deal. She was just trying to get it away from the baby so she wouldn't play with it. And I was walking out, and I said to myself, but I said out loud, I was like, what the hell is that about? Just like that. And as I, I did it as I opened my door, and there's a lady walking by, and I was like, oh, you don't want to have somebody seeing you, you know, hear you say even, even a minor word, as I would put it. And then we're walking downstairs. She's like, your daughter's so cute. And I said, she gets it from her mom. And uh, you got to let her know I'm with her mom. Amen. Because, you know, I am not single. Hey, praise God. I got you wherever you're at, baby. I'm not single. I'm not ready to mingle. And so she goes, oh, she's so cute. I said, she got it from her mom. And she's like, oh, yeah. And she says to me, aren't you, aren't you that pastor? And I'm like, oh, God. Always watch your testimony. Always. Always watch your testimony. I had a friend of mine, she's a praise and worship leader down south in, in a big, big, big church, and she was at a drive-thru, and, and she said that this lady was staring at her, and she thought, she was staring at her for so long, she thought that she was going to, like, really attack her. And she walked up to her, and she was just like, you're that praise and worship leader, aren't you? You just never know who's watching you. I went to Subway one day, and this lady was just looking at me really weird. I was just like, I just want to get my chicken teriyaki sub. I don't even want this. I'm just looking, and she just smiling, waving at me. So obviously she knew me. I didn't know her, and I felt so terrible. And I got to get in my soda. From, it was for my wife, and I went to get in my soda. And she's not ordering. And she goes, the beach balls was amazing. This is right after Easter service. And I was like, oh, oh, praise God. Bless you, daughter of the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Always watch your t- I could have been like, what are you looking at? What do you, what do you want from me? Always watch your testimony. You never know who you're dealing with. You never know who's around you. You never know who's watching you. Watch your test. Can I just be, watch your testimony on social media. Millions see that. Watch what you say. Watch what you do. If you're going to be a representative of Christ, be one that glorifies his name. Be one that brings him honor and praise and glory. Do things that God will be glorified about. Peter said, live a life so great that even those who don't know God glorify God because of you. You have to cast out the net of your testimony. you got to cast out the net of your testimony and say, God, I know that you're going to do something great because of what you've done in me. The greatest story besides the cross that people might ever hear is your story. It is your story. You don't know who God put you in contact with so you can touch with your story, with what you've gone through, with what you've endured in your life. I don't know about you, but I've endured unique things. I've endured certain addictions in my life. I've endured certain type of sicknesses and illnesses. I've gone through it. And if somebody comes to me, nobody would ever come to me and think that I was a person who for four and a half years struggled with a severe eating disorder. You would never think that off the rip. But people who deal with that can come to me and I can give them my testimony and say, God did this for me and God did that for me. And there's hope for you too. I know what it's like to lose my dad suddenly and be in a tough place. I know what that's like. So when someone comes to me, I can help them through that tough time. Don't look at everything in your life as a curse. Look at it as God giving you equipment to be able to help someone else. 
Take what the enemy meant for your destruction and use it for God's glory. One of the greatest testimonies people will ever hear is your testimony. How God provides for you, how God sustains you. Even when you tried running from God, he kept pulling you in and God kept you no matter what. How God, every time you tried to run from him, he drew you closer to his presence. 1 John 5.18, we read it a couple of weeks ago, because he stands guard over us. Because of that, I can give people a testimony that honors God. Can I challenge you this week, church? Cast out the net of your testimony. You don't know who God is putting around you. Rebuke that spirit of shyness. Rebuke that, I don't want to tell people about Jesus. I don't want to shove my religion down their throat. People are going to hell and dying because the church is muzzled. The church is quiet. The church is silent. But yet there is a time in which we live, and we call it the end times, that we should honor God for soon thereafter will come a king, and he will take his church up. We're living in perilous times, church. This whole week, the Lord has been impressing upon my heart the returning of the Lord. We're living in deep, dark times where the church is compromised all over the place and people are putting up all types of false doctrines and every single belief is being sacrificed and everything is being faltered because of society's culture. I don't care about culture. I care about Christ. What does God say about this? What does God say about that? And my testimony has to be that I stood with God to the end. And I believed every word in that book. And I sought after God and I, I lived a life that was righteous. I lived a life that is holy. For I believe that God is trying to raise up a church that would bring a good testimony before him. But we all know those people who call themselves followers of Christ but don't live like followers of Christ. I want to tell you, and challenge you that you would begin to share your story with someone this week. You know, I told you many times before, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, where it talks about we're saved by grace and, and, and through faith in Jesus Christ, for you are God's workmanship. And I told you that word workmanship is the Greek word poemi, and it means masterpiece. It means you are God's poem. You are God's handwritten poem. He penned your life. Can, why are you hiding your story from those who need it? Don't hide the thing that God calls a masterpiece. Don't hide in your heart the thing that God calls you to exalt him with, to bring glory to his name. Whatever your story is, God is moving through it. God will bless you through it. God will bless others through you. The net of your testimony. And then the other side to that is live in a, in a righteous way, church. Live in a way where God is glorified. Live in a way where God is honored. And if you have to question it, I, I have this, this, this saying I've said for seven years now, and it's really simple. If you have to question it, it's out of the question. If you have to question it, it's out of the question. That's my rule of thumb. If I have to question it, it's probably out of the question. And it's things that I won't do in my life, things that I don't consider sin, but I won't engage in in order to not make anyone else stumble. Live a life that is righteous before God. Pastor, why are we talking about all this? Because when you do that, you're able to reach others for Christ. That is the ultimate goal, church, that you would reach the lost for Christ that you would engage in what we call being a fisher of men, that you would care about the souls in this world that are dying and lost. But nothing concerns God more than the lost, the hurting, and the broken. Here's my third net, the most obvious net. Let me read this verse, Romans 10, 13. 
And I'll close with this point, Romans 10, 13. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. For how then will they call on him if they have not believed? And how will they believe in him if they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Your Bible might say a proclaimer. How will they preach unless they are sent? For as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And, and Paul is writing here, and he's writing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe you don't know much about God, but maybe you know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and this is our third net, the net of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be a proclaimer of the gospel of the Lord, to be a proclaimer of all that he has done. And so Paul here, he's writing, and he lays it out. He lays it out. Maybe you're here today, and you need Jesus. Maybe you're here today, and, 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 and net one and two haven't really resonated with you because you're still in the place where you need Christ. And, and here's what I love about my Jesus. Here's what I love about our Christ, our Savior. It says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord. Your Bible might say, and everyone who calls on his name will be saved. Everyone. Every lost, hurting, broken sinner, every person on the face of the planet, doesn't matter who you are, if you call upon the Lord, he will save you. Maybe right now you're, you're in sin. Maybe right now you're in a dark place in your life. Maybe right now you're just dealing with the hardships of life. If you would call upon the name of of the Lord. Maybe you're the one with the bad testimony. Maybe you're the one who God hasn't written your story yet, you feel. Maybe he hasn't given you the closing chapter that you were saved yet. Maybe that's you today. And he says to you, if you would call upon me, I will save you. And one of the things that Paul does in his writings is he begins to ask questions preemptively before people who are reading his letters might ask them. Because they can't ask him. So Paul, he tries to think of everything they would ask. And he says this, how will they call on him if they have not believed? Meaning, how can they call upon the Lord if they don't believe in him? And then he says, well, they can't believe. Here's the next question. Well, how will they believe if they have not heard? So he understands that believing in God comes through hearing the word of God. Amen? Believing in God comes from hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that the master of heaven, the savior of all the world, the God came, that he came down and wrapped himself in the flesh of a man and he died on the cross for our sins. He was died, buried, resurrected. That's the good news. And he did it for us, for our sins. He says, how can they believe if they have not heard and how can they hear if no one is preaching or proclaiming the good news to them? How can they be saved if they haven't heard and they can't believe because they haven't heard because no one is preaching? And the next question, well, how can someone preach if they have not been sent? And he says, why is no one going out to preach to them that they might hear, that they might in turn believe, that they might in turn call upon the name of the Lord? Pastor, what are you saying? I am telling you today, church, that if you would go, and I don't care who you are, you don't need to be a pastor, an evangelist, or a minister to preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. If you would get before anyone with a bold spirit and say, is Jesus your Savior? 
Do you know him as you have you repented from your life of sin? Have you come to him wholeheartedly and let him build you back up? Last week at the Bluefish Stadium, we had a very uh, unique thing happen towards the end, at, all the way at the end, where there was Mary of Bethany, a small church from uh, New, Newtown, was up in one of the, the booths, and they were having a closing prayer, and the groundskeeper was there, rather the, 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 the main man of all the facilities. His name is Dan. And, and, and every time we prayed, we always included Dan in our prayer. Dan, you're going to come pray with us. We were on the field praying, and he was just giving us a tour of the grounds. Dan, you're going to come pray with us, Dan. This is for a couple weeks now. Every time we pray, Dan's getting dragged into prayer, and Dan's not a believer. But we're going to know that, Dan, when you come around us Christians, you're going to pray with us. And Dan was upstairs at the last moment of this entire prayer meeting, and one of the members of that congregation, Pastor Gabrielle's husband, his name is David. David trapped Daniel in the corner, and he says, have you confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior? The guy's backed up against the wall. And he's like, uh, no. And he says, well, did you know that Jesus Christ is God, and he came to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life, that he might die on the cross as a perfect lamb of God, a sacrificial lamb, that he would die on that cross for you and for me and pay the price for all of your sins, past, present, future, that you might come to know him. And he did it all with the expectation that you would know him one day. And at that, Dan, who didn't know Christ as his savior, bowed his head and they led him in the sinner's prayer. Why? Because someone was bold enough to say, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you know Christ? Those four simple words can change someone's life. But we don't share it enough, church. And why? We don't share it because we don't know that people need Christ as much as they need him. He said, if any would call upon the name of the Lord, if any would call, they would be saved. Can I challenge you, church, this week that you would cast out the net of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And do you know why they call it good news? Do you know why they call it good news, church? Because there's no greater news than to tell someone that eternal life is freely waiting for them. And I don't know what's wrong with the church these days. I tell you the truth, it really confuses me what's wrong with the church these days. You see, because if I found a fountain of life that would give me immortality, I wouldn't keep it to myself. I'd tell it to every person I love because I would want them to live forever with me. But we don't share the gospel with people. We don't tell people about Jesus Christ. We spend time praying. We spend time coming to church. We spend time reading the word of God. But we don't share our faith. There's nothing more powerful that you can say to somebody than those four words, do you know Jesus? 
you're going to be a fisher of men, you're going to have to pray for these people. You know, I've spent all week long praying for every single one of you. I really did. Every week I spend prayer praying for the people of this church and for every soul that will enter into the doors on Sunday morning. Maybe you're here for the first time today. I prayed for you all week long to come. I spent time this morning at my office just on my knees praying, saying, God, would you bring in the ones you want to hear your word? You may think you came by chance today. You may think you came under your own unction, but God drew you in. For the Bible says that none can come unless the Spirit of God draws them in. And you might think you're just here today, but God says, no, I have a divine appointment for you today. And I'm here today. I'm going to cast out the net of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you those four simple words, church. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Have you made that cry, that call to him and said, I want to live the way you want me to live. I want to walk the way you want me to walk. Maybe you're here today and your life is in shambles and you don't realize that there is a God who could put everything back together, not the way you want it, but the way he purposed it and the way he intended it. Maybe you haven't been to church in a while. Maybe you just haven't found the strength to go because you know your life is not where it needs to be. And the Spirit of Christ says to you today, would you call upon me and I will rescue you and I will take you from this path that you don't even want to be on and return to me with all your heart. Would you stand today with me, church? You see, in that scripture, Paul, Paul ends Romans 10, 13. He ends it in verse 14. And, and he says, for beautiful, hear me now, beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And that's an Old Testament quotation. And the Old Testament quotation comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, verse 7, where the Bible says that the Lord sent a messenger to the, to the exiles, to those who had been taken into bondage, to those who had been taken by an enemy army into a place they did not want to go. And this, this messenger, he went with the word of the Lord, and the good news that he brought was that freedom and liberation had come by the power of God. And so Paul takes that now, and he brings us to the New Testament, and he says, beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. What's the good news? That you can come out of exile, that you can come out of the bondage of sin, that you can come out of the bondage of the enemy. You can come out of the lies of Satan. You can come out of it right now in Jesus' name. You can come out of it. Come on, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the good news is here. That brokenness doesn't scare God. Your sin doesn't scare Christ. Your, your, your screw-ups don't scare God. He loves you. And he's crazy about you. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Four simple words. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? I'm not talking about reading him in a book. I'm not talking about just coming here and there? Do you have a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Have you called to him? Or are you lost? Are you wayward? Are you hurting? Are you broken? Are you far from where you know you want to be and need to be? If that's you, today is your day. He says to you right now, I've been praying for you all week long. I've been beckoning you all week long. You think you got here by accident. He says, no, I plan for you to be here. The Spirit of God says to you, I designed for you to be here today that you would hear the word of the Lord. And you would hearken unto my voice. That you would not quench the spirit today. 
Come on, if God is dealing with you on any level, whether it is your testimony, whether it is your prayer life, or whether you have not made a commitment to Christ, I want to challenge you. Take a step of faith and come to this altar right now. If you know God is dealing with you, don't wait for nobody else. You're going to come forward because you're going to say, you know what, I want to get things right in my heart, in my life. That's right. Come on, just come. Just come. Whether it's your testimony, your prayer life, or you've not made that commitment to Christ. Come on, come on, come on. That's right. That's right. If I can get my prayer team to come on forward right now, because God's going to change some lives radically today. God's going to change some hearts radically right now. God's going to move in a powerful way, and you don't ever have to be the same. Come on. If I can get my whole prayer team up front right now, you don't ever have to be the same. You don't ever have to live in the mess you're coming out of. Today is the first day, as my dad would always say, of the rest of your life. You're going to walk in the freedom of God. You're going to walk in the liberty of God. You're going to walk in the glory of God. Come on, anybody else, I'll wait for you. Come on, anybody else, I'll wait for you. Come on, give them praise, church. Give them praise. Anybody else? Give them praise. Give them praise right now. Give them praise. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Glorify him right now. Come on, church. Praise God right now. Give him praise. Glorify him. But God is here.